is Cassie Smith. It is 2.20 on October 6, 2012. I am interviewing Juan Oyurvides, and we are at the Emma S. Barrientos Mexican American Cultural Center. And this is for the Emma S. Barrientos Mexican American Cultural Center Oral History Project with the Austin History Center. Juan, do you give me permission to record this interview on behalf of the Austin History Center Oral History Project? Yes, I do. Okay. Could you please state your name and spell it for us? Juan, J-U-A-N, Oyervides, O-Y-E-R-V-I-D-E-S. Okay, so I'd like to start with some easy questions. Can you tell us where you were born and where you grew up? I was born in West Texas, a little town called Fort Stockton, Texas. And that's where I grew up until... Uh, I graduated from high school. Okay, and what was it like growing up there? Um, it's it's a small West Texas town. Uh, lots of friends, small community, small world, and um, the weather was great. Summertime, especially, it's dry desert air, and then at night, it's just really cool. And it's a it's a very physical environment, so um, that's that's what it's like out there. And um, how long did you live there in Fort Stockton? Well, like I said, I was born there, so I was there until eighteen. I was eighteen, and I went to went to Tech mm -hmm. after that. And what did you study at Tech? Uh, at Texas Tech, I studied. Uh, uh, microbiology and biochemistry and uh, those those were my two main main things and my degree I got in in uh, microbiology mm -hmm. and at that time were you involved in any arts activities uh, very little only through high school courses but uh, not, nothing much else and then when I went to tech uh, there really wasn't a lot of time to get involved in a lot of arts, mm -hmm. arts things. But my heart has always been there, mm -hmm. and um, I have a natural uh, ability for drawing and and uh, and sculpture. I've, I've never been trained. I just do it on my own, and I just never got around to uh, refining those skills and actually getting an education or or any classes in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after you uh, after Lubbock, um, I went, uh, I moved to Austin, and uh, I, I started working in a, in a research facility in Bastrop, Bastrop State Park, and I was doing um, research on cancer, uh, doing a lot of tissue culture, microbiology, biochemistry, just lab work. Mm -hmm. Working on uh, on liver cancer. Wow. Yeah. And where did you live in Austin? Uh, in Austin, I lived uh, just north on the north side near Leander, and uh, that's most of the time that I lived there. And then uh, I moved into the city a little a little bit later after that. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. around what year was that that you moved here? Oh golly. Um, let's see. 
that would have been say um, that would have been 1985 or 86. And what was the what was it like living in Austin at that time? Well, again, it was a small community, uh, very exciting. You know, you're young and and there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of diversion. Uh, I had been here before when I was younger, and I had been to the uh, Armadillo World Headquarters. Uh, this is the Armadillo World Headquarters. The Armadillo, you're not from here either, are you? <laughs> <laughs> the Armadillo World Headquarters was this, is like an Austin icon and landmark that went the way of uh, a lot of other landmarks that were here in Austin a long time ago. And uh, it was just a big warehouse, but as far as music goes, I mean, it hosted uh, very well-known acts that are that went national. But when they were here, they weren't. They were not national. And so there was a lot of um, there was a lot of fun to be had uh, during those times and. and I, I especially like this place called Liberty Lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's actually on the next block next to City Hall, but it's not there anymore, it's, it's gone. So again, that was another old Austin you know, icon mm-hmm. that uh, went the way of the dinosaur, so. And do you remember what the kind of political climate was like when you moved here? Yeah. Um, there was a lot of uh, activism with the community and the environment. I remember that at the very beginning of my of my arrival to Austin, there was a lot of activity, a lot of politics surrounding uh, environmentalism and uh, protecting the environment, protecting certain places. The uh, there was a, a preserve or a reserve, a nature reserve that was in the news a lot. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. And were you involved in the activism? No, not involved, but very interested because, uh, you know, when you're, when, when you're from a small town in West Texas, that's a very physical, natural environment. And so it's, it's, it's almost like you have to, you have to live there in West Texas to understand what West Texas is all about, you know, and so you carry that with you. And here, the the climate and the environment was so different. I mean, so much water, you know, trees and and creeks and you know just everything. But at the time, there was a lot of uh, concern for protecting uh, endangered species, mm-hmm. you know, the salamanders, and and um, it, it was just a a, a great place. To be, I mean, I used to come here when in the seventies or uh, mid seventies, and um, go to the pool, go out to the lake. Um, so, you know, I did all of that just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And how did you see Austin change from those early visits to when you moved here? How, how did, did I see it? Yeah. Uh, growth in the outlying areas, tremendous growth in the out- outlying areas. Just a lot of um, 
residential areas being built has just really exploded since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, after work working um, in Bastrop State Park, what did you do next? Well, um, then I moved uh, to the city, like I said, and I started working for the, uh, for the health department, Texas Department of Health. And I worked in a laboratory there and I did um, um, testing for, for uh, rickettsial diseases. Those are uh, diseases that are carried by ticks and uh, like Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Lyme disease, um, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then, in, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that seems an interesting transition to where you are now. It um, is, and, and it's, the way it happened is that I was so interested in, in working in labs, and I was getting quite a variety of exposure from cancer labs and, and uh, reference labs, like for the state of Texas, that I wanted to go to business school, to MBA school, to, um, to learn about how to do a business because ultimately I wanted to have my own business in science, like mm. uh, in tissue culture or monoclonal antibody production or uh, anything that, that's in the field of biochemistry I wanted to, I wanted to sell. So it was like I wanted to be a business business person, businessman, and um, so that's why I went to to graduate school for, to the MBA program here at UT. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and what what year was that? Um, boy, that was. Uh, you should have told me I was gonna have to remember <laughs> you dates. Brought your resume, huh? Yeah, I should have. Um, I want to say that was. Uh, I guess about 95, something like that. Yeah, somewhere around there. And do you remember during that time, kind of in that, the first 10 years, the different kinds of activist groups concerning the arts that were around or the Mexican-American community? I was not because I was totally immersed in, uh, in science and uh, as far as the arts goes, I, I just didn't hear a lot. I think... Uh, one of the first organizations that I heard about was the Mexicarte Museum mm -hmm. and La Peña as well. So those were the only two. I mean, I was aware of them, but I really wasn't part of the, you know, the local Hispanic community in that sense. Mm -hmm. And when did yeah. you become involved? Well, I became involved when, uh, after business school, I, I got a... Uh, a position with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce as the economic development person. Mm. And that was all about business. And that was a really key position that, that I got because that's where I got to meet the Hispanic community. Mm. Uh, all the Hispanic business owners, Hispanic lawyers, Hispanic judges, Hispanic legislators, Hispanic council members, uh, anybody that was, all our Hispanic leaders mm -hmm. uh, I met in, uh, uh, in my service at the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce as their economic development manager. Mm -hmm. And what yeah. were some of the major issues at that time? Uh, access to capital, I remember distinctly. Um, 
because small business owners, especially Hispanic owners, did not have that that kind of access to capital like others did. And um, at that time, uh, I was very interested. I had always been interested in international business, so I focused on on those kind of international issues, and I got to go on some uh, trade missions for the Hispanic Chamber to Mexico mainly. And um, those were the, the types of things that were going on in the Hispanic community. Uh, school board, of course, elections, those, those kinds of things. So that's, that's how I made the transition from science mm -hmm. through my MBA program. I, went, I transitioned from science to business mainly because I wanted to be in business myself and have a science-based business. But then when I got into the Hispanic Chamber, uh, now we're talking about a nonprofit world and it was a Hispanic Chamber full of businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got to meet uh, not just all our leaders, but just a tremendous number of, um, of um, Hispanic business owners. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that was my experience in the nonprofit. That was my first experience in the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I made the change. I uh, I saw it as a challenge because when I got when I got out of that that MBA program, um, I they give you so many tools to work with that you feel comfortable uh, running running. Um, managing a room full of accountants even though you're you're not an accountant mm -hmm. okay so those are the kinds of skills that it gives you and then when i got to to the hispanic chamber then it just gave me a a form for me to to grow and learn how to manage and and get introduced to the hispanic community who are some of the key people that you remember from that time whether it be in government or business owners well, all our most all of our current leaders are still here. Uh, Mayor Garcia, uh, Commissioner uh, Gomez from Travis County. Um, who else? Judges, uh, um, uh, uh Albert Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew him. That's I met him here before he went. Of course, later on he went on to uh, to uh, President Bush's cabinet, you know, as Attorney General. But uh, yeah, I met um, quite a few people, and and uh, they're still here. They're still here. Uh, uh, John Trevino, our first Mayor Pro Tem for the City of Austin. Uh, Richard Moya, our first Travis County Commissioner. Uh, Senator Barrientos, of course. We I met him early on when I got there to the chamber. So it it was a it was a great place to be an employee if you wanted to meet a lot of people very fast. Mm -hmm. It was a great place, great place. And how did you first hear about this idea of a cultural center? Well, after I had spent some time working in the chamber and working in the Hispanic community, then. Um, I got more exposed to uh, the nonprofits that were working in the in the cultural arts, and 
some of the same people that I knew from my life in the Hispanic chamber were also involved in the cultural arts. Mm -hmm. And some of them were actually on the board of the nonprofit that was established to manage and raise money and hire and fire uh, staff for the for for the Mac, mm -hmm. and at that time that nonprofit was called the Center for Mexican American Cultural Arts. Mm -hmm. And around what year was that that you kind of first heard about them? Um, golly, two thousand two. Maybe 2000, 1999, 2000, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry about the date. That's okay. Um, <laughs> and how did your relationship progress with them? Well, they knew what I was doing. I mean, they knew I was capable. They knew I was managing. I mean, uh, in between the uh, the Hispanic Chamber and the um, in between the lab and the uh, my lab work and the and my MBA UT, uh, I had worked in several uh, thriving businesses like a real estate uh, company, a real estate management company, a car sales company, um, just several, uh, you know, several, several things. I even worked in a, in between jobs. I worked in construction as well. Uh, managing crews and, and things like that. But uh, so the the nonprofit people in the Center for Mexican Cultural Arts, they knew me from from the chamber primarily, but they knew I had this management capability and and they knew I had access to to um, uh, contacts in the community, especially corporate contacts. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kinda how they knew me and and there came a point where uh, where the the nonprofit Samaka was at a point with the city where they were needing uh, some professional help uh, to organize their their office and and just give it some structure and so uh, they made me an offer and the timing was right because the <clears throat> the uh, Hispanic Chamber was in between directors, and so I decided to make the move over to the to the nonprofit for the MAC. And was that a full time position? Yes, that was a full time position. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what, what was that job like? What did it entail? Well, it was uh, um, I, like I said, it was to give it some structure. They had somebody there that that uh, really didn't know what. Uh, how to manage a nonprofit, um, many challenges to fundraising. Uh, there's some marketing issues that had to be addressed. Accounting, of course, because we still had a. There was a still. There was still a metal, an old metal building, metal warehouse, mm -hmm. here in the, um, here at the site, and it was still doing a little business with uh, rentals for, for events, mm -hmm. so. Uh, it wasn't a lot, but um, again, mainly the uh, structure was needed because the, at that time, the city of Austin 
appointed board members to their nonprofit. And so uh, there was also some other performance measures that none of the board members really had any time to do and maybe they didn't have any experience in doing that but I did mm -hmm. so that's that's one of the reasons why they they approached me to see if I would consider managing a nonprofit mm -hmm. and so just bring you to speed on how that decisions were made were, was it the board recommending to you what they wanted how is that relationship yes it's a typical board nonprofit board the they decide all the policies and then they give it to staff to execute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Did you have employees? Uh, I had one, no. Well, there was one person there that was, uh, we gave him the, uh, the duty of managing the, the uh, warehouse. Mm -hmm. And so there was uh, like a percentage that was given uh, to him for the bookings, and so that's kind of how we, we paid him. Can you tell us who that was? Yeah, it was Tomas Salas. Okay. Right. And what was it? You had an office in the old warehouse. Yes. Right? What was it like to be in that space? Um, lots of rats. <laughs> I've heard about the rats. <laughs> raccoons. Lots of raccoons. I mean, it was it was like Mother Nature in there. Mm -hmm. uh, the space was was you know abandoned and, and uh, it was given over you know to the to the board at the time the nonprofit board to use and there was still some storage materials there I mean it was yeah it, it was not a, a nice place mm -hmm. to be but uh, just an old city building you know but can you speak to the importance of why you stayed in that building and well there was no place else to go. I mean, we actually needed a presence, a physical presence. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually needed to be here. I mean, you can't, at the time, you, you, you know, you have an organization that's managing in this place, but I believe for a little while they, they didn't have anybody here, so that was one of the, the, the best reasons why the Moss was here, mm -hmm. to, uh, to be on the site, you know, because it just, it just looked better you know, it's a it's a better impression. I mean, there's somebody there. You know, you're you're actually there. So uh, it was just necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, had to be done. Do you remember the performances and events that were held there? Yes, I remember many performances that were there. Uh, not all of them, of course, but uh, Pastorella was was one of the the first ones that I that I uh, came in contact with. And uh, there were other things there, music events. We had a lot of music events there. You know, a lot of uh, local bands like to book it. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of problems, too, with the noise. So that was a, a huge unexpected challenge, but uh, we had to address that as well. And I assume that was from neighbors. Um, what yes. Was rainy, what was the rainy district like at that time? Uh, there's, it's all residential. It was all residential. Uh, the villas on Town Lake, that group of uh, condos, that I think it's like two-story condos right behind to the north of the parking lot, they were the ones that would complain the most. And really, the, the warehouse was just a, an empty metal warehouse, no insulation, nothing. So 
it, maybe it, it just resonated and it was very loud. Kind of like having music in a, in a metal barrel, mm -hmm. just loud. <laughs> I mean, they could hear it, of course. And so that was fun for a while. Yeah, and at that time, the town like trail has already been built. Like it's, it's there, right? Yeah, it was there. Um, this was mostly just an asphalt parking lot except for the big giant metal warehouse and then the smaller office. And then over here on the east side of the property, there were some other buildings there. There were rat infested and just leftover furniture, just literally abandoned. And there were, uh, there used to be some homeless people that used to live there. Uh, but uh, there was a shower in there that worked and I heard it going one day. And so people were using it, you know, homeless people were using it. So um, it looked like, you know, people had been living there for a while. They come and go, and then on the on the west side of the of the property, there was uh, a row of metal, a row of uh, warehouse spaces. So it was of a long metal uh, building and had several bays with big bay doors that you would roll up, and there were spaces in there as well. Some were abandoned. Uh, one or two were being used by some local uh, artists and uh, music, uh, but mostly it was just, you know, they were just there. Can you remember some who some of the artists were? Uh, Clemencia Zapata had a little space in there, a little studio space. Um, I believe there was another arts group, but I, I just don't remember who, who they were now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. And then maybe you can walk me through the, the time that you were there, some of the key turning points that you can remember when you were attending. Hmm. Um, I, would, I would have to say, I mean, my, my duties were more, I didn't have time or, and the board did not have the desire to, to use me to manage the events that were going on here. That's why we had Tomas. Uh, my duties were more focused on uh, raising uh, funds. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we're talking about a capital fund. So uh, that involved a lot of corporate contacts, works. We had to gear up. We had to gear up and get... get um, get the ball rolling with corporate, you know, corporate sponsorships and corporate investment. So uh, I was doing basically the same thing I was doing at the Hispanic Chamber was networking with corporations and, and those, those kind of resources. But this time I was not with the, uh, a business nonprofit, I was with a cultural mm -hmm. nonprofit. And so there was a great deal of overlap I already knew a lot of the business community and the corporate community. So those were key things that were going on as far as gearing up to get ready for a capital campaign. Um, and then there was also the involvement of uh, the city. Um, the city was uh, uh, impatient uh, about getting the capital campaign going and they, they established performance measures uh, for the board to to 
to accomplish and I was able to accomplish all of those performance measures and uh, uh, that was key because they never had anybody uh, to do that for them so I gave them that I gave them that capability and we gave uh, uh, a good effort and we got those performance measures accomplished what were some of the measures I knew you were going to ask me that (laughs) just give us a couple uh, a major one was writing a business plan. Mm. And so uh, I was able to do that for a while, but then we decided to hire a consultant to do the business plan. And so that involved a lot of research on my part and his part and a lot of writing. So we had to collaborate on that. Uh, they already had a master plan, but now uh, the city wanted a business plan. And um, one of the other uh, measures that we had to accomplish had to do with um, the appointment of certain board members, um, changing bylaws. There was always, you know, things to do with the bylaws and the changing because I had never seen uh, a partnership with a nonprofit in the city of Austin where the city of Austin actually uh, appointed board members that were recommended by the board. So it's very, very unusual. I'd, I'd, I'd never seen that before. And so my efforts was, was in trying to recruit um, corporate level board members, but uh, those recommendations that that were being made in that respect were were more in favor of community members. And so it was very difficult for the board to uh, be experienced and understand what a capital campaign is all about. Mm-hmm. And so instead you had community members that they just weren't sophisticated in that in that respect. Mm-hmm. You know, they're highly accomplished in, in nursing or education or uh, the arts, okay, but but as far as business and, and capital campaigns, I mean, those are really very different animals, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, corporate sponsorship, corporate investment, uh, it, was, it was difficult to get this board to uh, really get some experience and get their feet wet on it. Uh, I did find some uh, training. I found some training for them. We found consultants for them. Um, but still, it was it was just so unusual to work to work like that. I, I, it was like, um, well, I don't know what it was like, but it was just it was just hard mm-hmm. hard to do. And how was the community involved? I mean, we all know that there are a lot of community activists who are working at the same time. How were they involved with CIMACA? Well, um, at the at the time, it was when I got hired. It, I, I was it was almost like walking into a war. Okay, uh, we had we had a group of detractors that were just completely against anything 
the, the nonprofit would do. I mean, they had a, a beautiful, wonderful mission to accomplish, and instead of helping them, it was just like the only purpose was just to come to our board meetings and disrupt the board meetings and, and be uncooperative, be critical. Uh, it was just so unusual. I've never seen anything like that. And I thought everybody was on board with this project, but when I got here and I saw all of that, I just couldn't understand what, I, I just couldn't understand how people could behave like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was another awakening to the, mm -hmm. to this, to the center and the history behind it. And then there was others that were all for it, of course, mm -hmm. you know, very, they, they had the passion, everybody on that board uh, had 110% passion for this project but again like I said they they were lacking in the in the knowledge and experience for capital campaigns I mean I've I've never myself been you know an expert in capital campaigns but I've been around it mm -hmm. and I've had the, the coursework and I understand everything that needs to be done there's marketing materials that have to be developed. There's a marketing message that has to be developed. So uh, a lot of close relationships with, with corporations. It's, it's, it was just something that had to be done. And um, that group of detractors, I guess, was so concerned that this place was gonna ta be taken over by corporations when they just really didn't even understand what that relationship is really all about. Uh, we had somebody here that that thought uh, that thought that nonprofits are not supposed to make any money. I mean, that's that's the level, uh, or that's the lack of just basic knowledge that that um, that was here at the center before I got here and gave it gave it a little more structure. And what yeah. was the result of the capital campaign? Well, uh, it didn't last very long because, uh, as I said, when I walked into this situation, the city had issued these performance measures mm -hmm. or they would take away the contract, you know. And they had a 50-year contract to manage and raise capital, uh, hire and fire the future Mac, but um, they had to do all of these performance measures on the contract. Mm -hmm. And so when I came, I had some time to do all of those, but the contract was canceled anyway. Mm -hmm. So there was never the next step to, to implement a capital campaign because the board was just constantly involved with uh, conflict with the city. Mm -hmm. So. And what was the city's reasoning for that in the end? What what was the excuse that they gave for taking away the contract? Well, um, I uh, you know I don't remember the exact language of what, what was used. I just remember that um, 
I guess city manager's office just did it. I, I don't even know that they needed any reasons, but uh, and that's that's just what came down. So I really don't know what what the exact reasons or justifications were. Mm -hmm. And then what happened after they took away the contract? Well, um, they went back to just being a, a cultural arts organization, which they, they've always been. And uh, I went on to find something else to do in, in business. Mm -hmm. So, um, Coming from a business and a biology mm -hmm. background, um, was it hard for you to transition into the arts or to, to kind of understand what, what the purpose of, of the, the center was? And you know, when I, first, when I first heard about the offer and they, they were talking to me about it, I, did, I have to admit I had some... Uh, some doubts about, you know, I don't know the first thing about the cultural arts, but it didn't take me long to realize that these cultural artists, it didn't matter. It didn't matter because these cultural artists uh, have, have uh, works to sell. They have tickets to sell. They're all small businesses. And so when I realized that and I figured that out, then yeah, I was pretty comfortable because I didn't have to know uh, how to be a sculptor in order to manage a nonprofit for the cultural arts. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that really is not my 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 position. And I can think of a couple of people that are artists, very successful people, and manage a nonprofit. Uh, like uh, Sylvia Orozco, you know, she does that. Uh, the, uh, the Cynthia and, L and Lydia at, uh, at La Pena. So, uh, you know, they, they, they do have that success, but um, when I came on board, I thought, you know, maybe this wasn't a good fit, but then when I realized that they're all small business people, I mean, it's not it's not that much different. You know, I, I use the same analogy like, you know, you can manage a room full, if, you're, if you get a business degree, you can manage, you know how to manage a room full of accountants, mm -hmm. but even though you're not an accountant. So um, that's, that was my experience. And then of course, I've always been a, a, a closet artist that, that's never had you know, formal training. So I just liked the whole idea of it. It was good. What was your vision for this place that would become, come to be known as the MAC? What did you think would happen here? I thought that uh, a building was going to be built here because at the time the bond was already, you know, done. And um, the bond monies were there. And so I figured that pretty soon we would get started with a capital campaign. Um, more money needed to be raised for the next phases. I thought the phases will come faster than they have. And so uh, that's what I envisioned here. I mean, I, I, I quickly figured out what all the history was just from talking to everybody that I could possibly talk to. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, many, so much history is just incredible and how far back it goes. So I knew that this would be a place where the arts would be um, celebrated and a home 
you know, for everybody like they wanted uh, in theater and in arts, you know, the visual arts, music. Mm -hmm. So that was that was a vision that I had. And of course, the look of the of the building uh, that was developed, you know, before I got here, mm -hmm. you know, in the master plan. So I already knew what it was going to look like. But uh, you never you'd never think it think it would look that way if you saw what was here before. After you stopped working for Simanca, did you stay involved with the MAC and you know, kind of keep, keep yes. up to date on what was happening? Yeah, I, I still kept up to date. I still had my, my foot in it. I was always interested in what was going on. I would, I would go to, to, now that I knew another community and their, and their work, I would, I would attend plays, mm -hmm. um, um, concerts, art openings. So I still stayed in touch with it. Okay. Yeah. Did you go to the opening ceremonies? Yes, I was there at the opening ceremonies. And what was that like? It was amazing. It was really amazing. Um, I just uh, for a while there, when you're in the when you're in the in the front lines, you know, before this place this place was built and the metal warehouse was here and everything. You know, you kind of have your doubts, or you wonder, boy, are we ever going to get there? Mm -hmm. And so, when the when the opening was finally here, it was really, really exciting, and I got to see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very exciting. Awesome. Yeah. And then, how did you? When did you decide to to come back and take part in the advisory board? Well, that was about four years ago, I think. Um, I had uh, started working with the Hispanic uh, Contractors Association, another nonprofit, uh, as a, as a, the director, another management job, mm -hmm. another management position with the Hispanic Contractors Association, and uh, I know that uh, they're very uh, active in the community and politically as well. They're they're advocates. They're not lobbyists. You know, lobbyists get paid, but Advocates don't get paid. It's, it's like, a, well, that's what nonprofits do, you know. But um, I saw that uh, there was a an opening on the board, and so uh, I asked the I asked the mayor, who who was a, a council member at the time, council member at Leffingwell. I asked him if he would appoint me to the board and he said he would and that's how I got got involved but not as staff but now as uh, as a board member mm -hmm. so I thought that I could add a little bit uh, to the uh, to the operations with staff as far as staff is concerned but really I mean they're they do they do a great job here they they never really needed me to do, to do any of that but um, yeah, that's how I got it. That's how I got involved and made the transition. So I started in, in science. I transitioned over to business. Yeah. And then I transitioned over to a nonprofit, a Hispanic nonprofit, then another Hispanic non nonprofit with Semaca, and then uh, to the board. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what my path has been mm -hmm. since I've been here. 
And how have you seen the relationship of the Mexican American community and, and the city change over the years? Because you've had a lot of involvement in, in, with working with different departments um, internally with the staff here, with the Board of Simaca, and then with the city of Austin. Has it changed? Um, can you talk about that relationship? That's kind of a loaded question. It isn't is loaded. It? There's a lot of questions there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, ask me again. Okay. Um, how have you seen the relationship of the Mexican American community? Ah, okay. Change and develop or remain the same with the city? And the, the community is, is dynamic. Uh, the Hispanic community here in Austin, what I have seen of it, it's not just one monolithic group. It's not one monolithic uh, philosophy or thinking. Uh, it's like a big family with brothers and sisters that fight. And, but that's okay. I mean, that's, we have some that are on the extreme left, some that are on the extreme right, some in the middle. Uh, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's who we are. and We're not any different than anybody else. Um, it, 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 the city gave the max structure and that's what I appreciate about it, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's a, there's a network and a support in place, but, uh, as far as the community and the city through the Mac, uh, some still feel very strongly that, that, that mission should be carried out. Uh, and managed by the Hispanic community and not a city government. So that, that sentiment is still out there. I mean, that's, that's the way it started. This project started as uh, a nonprofit project, but then it transitioned over to a city-owned project. And so maybe in the future it'll transition back out and be privatized to a nonprofit. I mean, th there's just no telling, but um, there's still a lot of give and take that has to happen. Uh, my experience here on the current board, which you and I both serve on, as you know, uh, that's not, that's always a work in process. I mean, there, there's never uh, any, uh, there's never any period of time where it's really that smooth. I mean, we, we have to work things out. And, and so we're here as stewards for the Hispanic community and, and they still need our help. So it's still a very important relationship. Um, so I think it's improved in, in some ways. Uh, in other ways, I think it's, it's still the same, but what the city needs to remember is, is that the Hispanic community has a history to this place. And it has a history that, that, uh, that came to be at this place. And so in the past, we've had more Hispanic leaders in city government that understood not just the history of the MAC, 
but the history of the whole community. And I think the danger right now is that we have less and less people as other people uh, rotate in and out of city government. Uh, maybe not all of them know the history of the, of the economy furniture strike. They, they may not know the history of, of the MAC. They may not know the history of the boathouse. They may not know the history of the, of the boat races. They may not know all the history of Holly Power Plant. Uh, see, all of those things are, are, are big, big milestones in the Hispanic community here in Austin. And so the, that relationship is always changing. And I think the danger is that that history is forgotten. And so I think that's what the Hispanic community is most concerned about is, is, you know, please don't forget us and this is why we are the way we are or this is why we do things the way we do. Uh, it seems like there's a, sometimes it seems like there's a lack of respect or regard, but really it's just that, you know, they just don't know. Uh, you know, if they're here and, and native-born Austinites, they may have heard about some of these problems in the Hispanic community or in some of these big events, but you know, maybe not so much. You know, maybe they were real young; they don't remember all of that. And so, you know, it's a good thing that our our community still remembers all of that history. That's why we're doing these interviews right. so that we can remember. Right. right? Um, what do you think is the max role here in Austin today? have different museums dedicated to Mexican-American art and culture, but, but specifically the MAC, what can it do that maybe those other organizations can't do? It can be a home for all of our artists, no matter who they are. That's, that's what this place should be. That's what this place was supposed to be. And, and that's what uh, everybody that I know of that I've been working with has wanted for for the Mac. Uh, that that's been their only passion. Yeah, I think it's it's got to be a home. It's got to be a place where they can they can express themselves. It's got to be a place where they can turn around and present it to the community because we're the ones the the community are the ones that know our culture best, of course, and they have a, a wonderful place with a lot of potential to have those traditions and that history and that culture stored away and, and worked on and brought out and exhibited. Uh, it's important for all the, the, the future generations of, the, of our children. What have been some of your most memorable events here at the MAC? The old one well, or the new one? You can do both. <clears throat> the Pastorella, definitely, uh, at the old one. And it still continues. Those were, those were very memorable. Uh, I remember the, uh, the uh, calls, the phone calls at night from the police department that the music was too loud and, 
and we had to go and meet with the uh, neighborhood association the next day. Uh, so I remember those very well. Uh, I remember the uh, the uh, the board meetings that were that were just so disrespected, you know, for a group of people that really had the best intentions. I remember that a lot. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the current MAC, uh, but the SEC celebrations are, are very memorable. And I remember in particular Inauguration Day when they first opened the center. Um, it was everybody that I knew was here, and they were dancing, they were performing, they were exhibiting their art. It was just a really, really great day. And I think it was a very healing day as well. Um, it was just tremendous. I mean, we had everybody here, the, the, uh, the architects, the, uh, especially the, uh, the, the, the most significant architect on that team was Teodoro Gonzalez de Leon. Uh, he was here and city people were here, city fathers, council members, uh, grandmothers, grand grandfathers, um, musicians. It was that was probably the best day I think I've seen mm -hmm. ever here. Nice. Yeah. Um, kind of on the same what have we kinda of just went over this, but what have been some of the most challenging aspects through the process? Is it personal or, or for the community? The most challenging, uh, what was that? Um, aspects uh, of the process. What process? Of bringing the MAC to fruition. Oh. I think working, I think uh, anytime the city is involved with anything, that's a challenge because you, you have to learn how to work with them. And uh, certainly, uh, the biggest challenge as a nonprofit was trying to bring along a group of people that aren't necessarily involved in in business and and uh, capital campaigns. I think I've mentioned that before. Uh, that's a challenge because you're working with very dynamic, very uh, talented people in their own right, but uh, you know, you, you have opinions to work with, you have philosophies to work with. It's, it's, it's hard to coordinate a group of people to think the same way, you know. And so that's a challenge. And so uh, there's, there's also the challenge of making what, making policy that they, uh, that they create and implementing their policy decisions. That's, that's a huge challenge. And, um, and then for the new, the, the current MAC, uh, from the other side of the coin, it's, it's a challenge for, for board to implement their policies because we have a lot of uh, working together that has to be done and understood. 
There's also the challenge of uh, money because this is a city project, it's subject to budget. And so raising funds and promoting and campaigning for more funding is a huge challenge uh, that board members need to be very, very capable of doing. They need to be capable of delivering the message, understanding it. Um, it's it's just it's just the uh, the ability to to translate the needs of the center for again another group of people that you know have to deal with a lot of different things. I mean, people at council, they're not cultural artists. Uh, so you've got to educate them, explain to them why these things are important, and that's a huge challenge, you know. And so uh, that's why we're here. And uh, I think the other aspect of the challenge is trying to uh, to have the instincts to do to make the right decisions for the community, even though they may not be here constantly, or they may not be here or calling you or emailing you and telling you what needs to be done, you still have to be able to have those those instincts that are particularly, you know, specific for a cultural center. You have to consider you have to consider our own uh, culture, not necessarily the, the cultural arts, but you have to consider our own culture and how we are, how we think, uh, our experiences with racism, with uh, uh, lack of access to capital. I mean, there's there's also a business aspect to what these cultural artists do. You know, they have to make a living because this is all they do. And so you've got to be uh, cognizant of that of that aspect of what cultural arts is is all about because it's not just about the actual product, the actual painting or sculpture. Uh, there's also a business side to that, mm -hmm. and they lack uh, uh, resources to to fund their marketing. I mean, it, they have to produce this work, but then they have to sell it so that they can use it back in the business to create more. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is this is one of the main reasons I think that this center is here for is to to act as a as a as a focal point to to bring attention to our cultural artists' work and to try and help them uh, sell their work and and publicize their work and promote their work. So that's another major function that this center has and should have going into the future. A good segue into my next question. Really, what, I'm good at this. Yeah, you are. Um, what? Where do you foresee the Mac in ten years, twenty years? What you can dream as big as you want. What What would you like to see here? I see a twenty-four hour center. Okay, I, I would like to see that. I would like to see an artist market uh, here every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday, because Sundays, that's when families get out and do things. Um, 
I see this place as a destination, not just for the city, but for the state and nationally. Uh, I see this place fitting very well with Water Creek and the future of Water Creek development. Um, I see this place as uh, uh, a, uh, an incubator for, for, for our art businesses. Uh, we're going to have a market. We're going to be surrounded by a market of, of buyers in these, uh, in these, uh, in the surrounding uh, multifamily housing projects. I mean, we've got one right across the alley. There's another one going up right down the street. There's another one uh, right behind us. So there's just going to be more and more uh, density here. And so I see this as an active place where uh, people that are working downtown can walk here or bike here or take public transportation here to catch uh, a lunch and maybe do some shopping, catch a show in the evening, uh, go see the art exhibit. You know, we're going to be a very integral piece of the Walla Creek development if it develops the way uh, they're anticipating with a lot of business and uh, more housing, um, restaurants, and you know, things of that nature. So it, we're perfectly positioned to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I see that. I see that as well. Uh, I would like to see more of the culinary arts and maybe a, a restaurant of some sort here because uh, that would be a good uh, that would be a good uh, hybrid of, of our mission and also a, kind of a money maker as well mm -hmm. um, it'd be a good place for tourists to come and experience anything that's related to the Hispanic culture you know Puerto Rican folk dance uh, um, you know, art from San Salvador. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a place for music and and not just art, but for music, uh, poetry, books. I just see this as a very very active place in ten years, and and I hope that I can lay the foundation or help lay the foundation to to make those things happen. That's the way I see it. Really? Uh, I don't know what I could add, really. I think that's that's pretty much it. I just uh, I just look forward to um, to another fifty years. You know, I hope I get to sit in a theater before I'm a hundred. Me too. I want to see the other phases of the Mac completed. Mm -hmm. That's that'll be another exciting uh, landmark in the history of this place and the community. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time and for sharing your experiences with us. You're welcome. Thank you very much.